There's a lot of ways to measure success. And in a lot of people's eyes, we don't measure up. But anything that we have done and and ever will do is a result, a direct result of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, In John chapter 3, Jesus was approached by Nicodemus. And, of course, everybody was interested in the miracles that Jesus was doing, and Nicodemus uh, referenced those. He said, we know you come from God because nobody can do these miracles you do except God be with him. And um, uh, I, I assume there's an implied question there, even though it's not stated in Scripture. The question is, how are you doing these things, I, I would guess. Because Jesus responds and said, except you be born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. So he's uh, certainly referencing the power of God to the life of God within. But Nicodemus, being natural, could only think naturally, and so he's, uh, he questions, how could a man enter into his mother's womb the second time? How, what's this born-again stuff you're talking about? And Jesus responds to him about being the difference between born, being born of water or being born in a natural manner and being born of the Spirit. And then he made a statement um, in verse 6, John chapter 3 and verse 6, that Brother Hagin used to hammer into us. Just, he had said it constantly. What Jesus said was, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That identifies our church. The percentages, if you want to go to Barna or some of the other groups, the percentages of churches that make it 30 years are just minuscule. The percentage of churches that, uh, well, let me back up. The percentage of churches that make it 30 years are small. But the percentage of independent churches that make it 30 years is almost non-existent. If you've got a, an organization behind you, somebody to fund the, the, the work and, and so forth, then, then that, uh, that increases the, the percentage of longevity. But independent churches just don't make it 30 years or more, statistically. In um, August of 1985, Beth and I had uh, been gone from uh, Brother Hagin's ministry. We both worked there for a number of years, but we had been gone from that ministry for about uh, 14 months. And we had been traveling, mostly in the United States, uh, but had done some ministry work overseas as well in Europe. And um, and we had um, we knew that what we were doing, although there were, there were many gratifying things about it, it's great to go into a place and preach and leave. There's some real benefits to that. Because in a lot of places you go into, people are tired of their pastors. They're used to them. They take them for granted. So the, the fresh face, everybody likes you, you know. And um, and so we had been ministering for about 14 months out on the road and uh, in a field ministry. And there was something that had been stirring in my heart for the last few months prior to that uh, time in August. Uh, I, I just sensed a change coming. I didn't know what it was. I'd pray about it and try to try to think it through like we always do, you know. Well, Lord, could it be this? Lord, could it be that? And I'd, I'd go down the list. Well, if I'm not supposed to be on the field, maybe I should pastor. We had, uh, in that uh, 14 months while we were in... Uh, traveling we had had a couple of churches offered to us and uh, one large church in uh, chicago had contacted me and um, had expressed an interest they had heard of us and heard some of uh, the teaching and anyway and uh, and so i prayed about it and and I've, i've i've always known that the worst thing you can do is tell god you won't do something you've just made your future plans when you do that because God can't use you if you say no. And so whatever you say no to, he has to get you to the place where you're willing to say yes. Don't ever say no. So I knew better than to do that. I knew better than to say no. But 
thinking it through, it just didn't seem to fit. It just didn't seem to sit right with my heart. And so I said, uh, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to pastor if that's what you want me to do, but it just doesn't seem right. And so I was left with the, the same wondering, the same uh, uneasiness. I was beginning to get frustrated on the road. I was beginning to get frustrated with the results that we were getting. I was beginning to get frustrated with the... Uh, well, you just can't put much into people on one or two meetings. It's just hard to see any results, any lasting results in somebody's life that way. And um, so there was a frustration that was beginning to build, but what do you do when you don't know what to do? Folks, this is a life lesson. There are times where you're going to know that something is needs to be changed, that something is coming or a change is coming or something needs to, uh, uh, there's an adjustment that needs to be made, but you don't know what to do. What do you do? Well, I was taught by Brother Hagin that until you know, you don't do anything. Because the worst thing in the world is to go trying a bunch of things, trying to figure out what fits and, and find out you're wrong. You can mess up a whole lot of people's lives that way. So not knowing what the next thing to do was, I stuck with the last thing the Lord did tell me to do, which was continue to travel and minister on the road. So in August of 1985, we were coming back from a, a ministry trip in the, uh, the States, and uh, we had a home in Tulsa, this little small 1,100-square-foot home that we had purchased before we'd left Brother Hagin's ministry. And uh, we were just getting settled back in, you know, after being on the road, you're doing your laundry and taking care of the mail and stuff that piles up when you're gone for two or three weeks at a time. And uh, I decided to stop by Kenneth Hagin Ministries and see a guy that I used to work with. This uh, fellow that I stopped to see was uh, my former boss. And um, we had worked together for a number of years and became good friends and and um, Brother Hagen was traveling a lot um, for longer meetings at the time that we worked together. And so you needed to take more equipment and you had uh, semi-trucks uh, and tractor trailers and things like that and uh, buses for the crew and, and, uh, and so forth. So we spent a lot of time on the road, literally on the road driving. And uh, we'd go through all kinds of places, and, you know, uh, what well, seemed to be God-forsaken places and so forth. And and uh, there was a kind of a running joke that we would have. We went to uh, Needles, California one time. And there was this old drunk sitting by the side of the road, just couldn't hardly sit upright. And I looked over and I said, Roy, you see that fella? He said, yeah. And I said, that's a retired crusade director. <laughs> and uh, so that kind of started the... Which, which was his job. He was a crusade director. And um, so that kind of started us picking at each other, and we'd go through places that, that just would seem like the most inhospitable to human life that you could imagine. And one of us would look at the other and say, I think God's calling you here to start a church. <laughs> well, when I went to see him, sat down in his office, and we talked a little bit. He asked how things were going, and I told him, and uh, I asked how things were going there at, uh, at uh, work and kind of caught each other up on the, the news of the day, so to speak. And um, and then uh, Roy said, did you hear about such and such a church? And it was a church that was out here. And I said, no, I'm scheduled to go back in there in about three weeks. I haven't heard anything. What are you talking about? And he told me about how the church had blown up and the pastor had run off with the secretary or there's some scandal that uh, caused the church to self-destruct. And um, um, there was a, a group of people that had contacted him. One of the individuals was a friend of the ministry and had some connections with the Hagans. And so he had contacted uh, Roy's office to tell him what was going on and just kind of inform him and so forth. And he said, uh, and it was just a mess. I mean, the, the, um, the situation as he related it to them, to Roy, was... Uh, it was just a terrible, terrible situation. It hurt feelings, and everybody's mad at each other, and one group's fighting against another group, and one group wants the church to do one thing, and another group wants the church to go a different direction. And it was just a mess. And so he related the information to me, and he said, uh, 
He said, I think God wants you to go out there and pastor. It's part of the joke. I mean, who would want a group of people that are fighting with each other and that kind of stuff? Well, as soon as you said that, that's exactly what dropped down on the inside of me. I, I don't, I'm not aware of anything else he said. Because now the several months of knowing there's a change that's coming is satisfied. I knew instantly that I was supposed to come here, this area, and pastor. Now, I misinterpreted it. I thought what I was supposed to do is come out here and take that group of people that are trying to stay together and gather them up. The, before the church had, uh, had split, there was about 800, an attendance of about 800, I was told. And so I thought I was, I'd gather them back up together and we'd hit the ground running and, boy, we'd really turn it into something. So I misinterpreted that. Uh, went home, told Beth uh, about my conversation with Roy, not what had happened on the inside of me, but about my conversation with Roy about how the church that we were scheduled to go into and preach for in, in a couple of weeks was in such a mess and, and so forth. And um, when I told her that, then I said, Roy said, after telling me how bad the situation was, Roy said he thinks we ought, that God's calling us to go out there and pastor or pastor that church or something. Well, we didn't compare notes until a couple of days later. But when I said that uh, to her, the same thing happened on the inside of her that it happened to me. It dropped down on the inside of her by the witness of the Holy Ghost, knowing instantly that that's what we're supposed to do. Well, as I said, I misinterpreted that. And um, we... Uh, contacted the people that were still trying to hold things together and talked to him, said, look, you, you know, we just heard about the church. or you want us to come? Yeah, yeah, please come. We're looking for people to preach and, and, uh, and so forth. Well, I didn't say anything to him. I didn't say, you know, just want you to know I'm your next pastor or anything like that. I'm so glad I didn't. And um, a couple of weeks went by. We came out here and, and, uh, uh, and preached at the church. And it was the hardest place I've ever preached in my life. I mean, Brother Hagin used to tell stories about wading through unbelief neck deep and, you know, preaching faith and stuff like that. And, you know, being in some places where it's like throwing a rubber ball against the back wall and come back hitting you in the face. And, and Well, I found out what he meant. I experienced that firsthand. It was awful. Just terrible. And... Um, after the, the church service was over, there was a group of people that wanted to take us to, to lunch. We found out later on that it was uh, the leaders of the two rival factions in the church. And each one, they, they had, we had preached in the church once before, and, and each one of them uh, were willing to consider us as pastor or for their pastor. But they wanted to make sure they could control us first. So we were there at, uh, at lunch, and, and I dispatched one of them just almost instantly because he was asking how I'd handle certain things if a certain problem arose at the church and, and uh, how I'd react and interact with the board and so forth. And, uh, and I told him that God didn't call boards, uh, that they're nowhere to be found in the Bible. I said if, uh, if a board is there for the purpose of uh, furthering the work of God for the church as is given to the pastor, then the board can be very helpful. But if the board's looking to control the pastor, then it's certainly out of line with the plan and purpose of God. Well, he was the head of the board. <laughs> I didn't know this. So he dismissed me instantly. I mean, it was like, okay, well, if I, if I can't control you, then, then forget you. I'll get somebody I can, I can control. So lunch was uncomfortable. Found out that they both, both groups had weighed me in the balance and I had come up lacking. <laughs> but I'm still thinking that since God has told me to come out here and pastor, that they're going to call me to pastor. So three or four weeks go by, six or eight weeks go by, and I haven't heard anything from them. Uh, so I called the, the guy that I knew that uh, was a friend of the ministry, Kenneth Hagin Ministries. I called the guy that I knew, and, uh, and the Lord had, had already dealt with me about it. I was already prepared for it because I, Beth and I had another meeting that, uh, that we went to, and we were on the roads going somewhere. 
And so I asked her, I said, um, uh, what would you do or what do you think we should do if they don't call us to pastor, to be their pastor? And we talked about it a little bit and both agreed that from what the Lord had put in our heart, we'd still have to come out here and start our own church, start our own work. Well, that's where I had misinterpreted what the Lord had told me to begin with because that's what he told me was to come here and pastor, not come here and take that group of people and pastor. So we found out from the from our contact that they were going to call another guy to be the pastor. And so I asked a few questions about it and found out that the, that the direction of the church would be taken would be totally different than anything we would be interested to do. Um, so we made plans to, to come out here and plan a work. Now, you need to understand something, and this has a lot to do with longevity. This has a lot to do with, uh, with making it with the things of God. If they'd called another word of faith preacher to be a pastor, then I wouldn't have come here because I'm not going to work against somebody else and take away from their work. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, God told you. Well, then God's going to have to make another plan. Because you can't operate dishonestly or, or absent ministerial ethics and expect the blessing of God to be on you. I never have understood that with people. They think they can be dishonest and believe God for prosperity. How in the world does anybody think that works? But you see people doing it all the time. So that's why I say when I ask the questions about the church and the pastor and so forth, I realize that... Uh, that the direction that that church would go would be in no wise, no way whatsoever, um, competing with or, or harmed by the direction that we would take it. So we, we made plans to come out. We, uh, we made a trip out, visited once, see what other churches were in the area. We visited another church uh, in the area that, we, that looked to us to be the closest thing to anything that we would do. Uh, met some people that wound up being strong part of our church. Not that we ever pulled anybody away or made any contact like that in any way whatsoever. But just a couple of weeks after we started, the other church merged with someone else, merged with a, a, a third church. So it was not anything that was in conflict with or in any way competing with anybody else. So we started praying. You know, we knew what we were supposed to do, but now we've got to find out when. And, folks, all these are important elements. I'm so glad for the time that I spent with Brother Hagen, because I see so many people flounder because they may know what to do, but they don't know where to do it or they don't know when to do it. And all of those are important elements. I knew what to do. I knew where to do it. That part was, was given to me immediately, but I didn't know when. I kept trying to make plans to go, and Beth said, well, we can't go yet. I'm thinking, well, why not? Why can't we go? Well, we got a house. What are we going to do about our house? I said, I don't know what we're going to do about our house. God didn't tell me to sell the house. God didn't tell me anything else. He told me we were supposed to go. We're going to go. Well, I can't go yet. So we'd pray and pray and pray and pray, and I couldn't get a witness about where to go, but I knew I needed to be ready to go. So I canceled all my meetings, canceled all the ones that were, far enough ahead on the schedule to where it wouldn't put out the other churches or the pastors. There were a couple that we had to keep because they were too close to, to cancel. But I canceled all the meetings. So now I've, uh, another, you know, what, month goes by, something like that. We don't have any meetings. We don't have any income. I'm sitting at home waiting for God to tell me when to go, or at least tell Beth when to go so we can go. You know, women are about leaving their houses. So I'm just doing whatever I can, trying not to go stir crazy, uh, eating hot dogs for lunch in the afternoon, trying to stay out of Beth's hair, because I've got nowhere to go. There's no meeting to go to, no money to play golf. So I'm kind of stuck at home, waiting to hear from the Lord. I sat down for lunch with a plate full of hot dogs, five hot dogs, steamed buns. I wasn't skinny on purpose. You need to understand something. I used to pray, Lord, help me gain weight. 
I hit about 40 years old, and it's amazing how God's answered that prayer. <laughs> so I sat down for lunch, turned on Perry Mason, comes on at noon. And the Lord spoke to me just as clear as I've ever heard anything in my life. He said, now's the time to go. The folks, I was surprised. I didn't know God watched Perry Mason. But apparently he did. So I, I told Beth. Didn't even wait to finish my hot dogs. I told Beth. I, well, actually, I think she was at the store when she came back from the store or wherever she'd gone. I told her, I said, the Lord told me it's time to go. She said, we can't go. I said, we're going now. Honey. We're going. She said, well, we've got to pack up. We, it's going to take us some time. I said, how long do you need? She said, I need three weeks. I'll give you one. I said, so in a week or 10 days, whatever it was, we packed up everything we had in the U-Haul trailer, and we left for California. Only thing we knew was that this was the area that we were supposed to be. We didn't have the money to hire a moving company to, uh, to move us. As a matter of fact, the, the rental on the, the trailer, it's a good thing that we had credit cards. I know a lot of people preach against credit cards, but if we hadn't had a credit card, we couldn't come. We put the, the cost of the rental on the credit card and lived off that credit card for the next year until um, some kind of income started coming in. But we had to do it ourselves because you can't hire a moving company to, hire, to, to move you if you don't have a destination for them to drop the, the stuff. They won't just say, you know, somewhere around there on the map. That, that doesn't work for them. So we moved all of our stuff out, drove cross-country, Moved all of our stuff out here, and within uh, five days, we found a place, found a little condo over in Mission Viejo, unloaded our stuff, and turned into the U-Haul. Now, we're settled in as much as you can, as quick as you can, you know. We're settled in. It's December the 15th, probably the 20th, by the time we got moved into our place, and we're ready to have church. Well, how do you do that? I never had a class in, in Bible school that tells me, you know, when you go to town, here's what you do, and here's how you find a place to have church. I never knew. I still don't know. I have Bible school students call me each year for interviews as a requirement for their class. How do you start a church? I have no clue. I know what we did, but I don't know if that's what everybody else is supposed to do. I think that's a mistake a lot of people make. They assume because I did this, everybody else is supposed to do it the same way that I did. Well, I've always endeavored to be led by the Holy Ghost, so I don't assume that what the Holy Ghost leads me to do is the same thing he's going to tell somebody else. So anyway, we uh, we started checking into facilities that we could have uh, church started calling the school districts, and the school districts said, well, all of our schools are full. There's three main school districts out here, and each one of them told us that all the schools are, are full. At that time, maybe the same now, I don't know, but at that time, um, schools were open to uh, churches renting the facilities and, and so forth, and, uh, and most of the schools were so overcrowded with churches that um, many of the schools had two and some of them even had three. Some of the larger schools even had three churches meeting in different parts of the, on the campus. So um, uh, hearing the same thing from all three school districts, one finally told me, he said, well, you, you would need to work that out with the, with the principals anyway because we don't handle it. We, we keep a record of what they give, the information they give us, but it's really up to the principal as far as what school uses his, or what church uses his school. So I thought, well, okay, then now I need to, instead of making three calls to the school districts, I need to make, you know, 50 calls to the different schools that are out here. So I sat back, and, and, and each time, you know this as well as I do, each time you try something and you get a no answer, there's a level of discouragement that comes. You know, I'm expecting, just like you expect, and just like everybody does, I guess, that when you're led of the Holy Ghost, God just going to park the water for you and you're going to walk through on dry ground and everybody's going to see the miracle and realize God's with you. 
Well, thank God those experiences happen. But even when, when it comes to the walls of Jericho, they walked around seven days before the wall fell. Those were not seven fun days. So I sat back and I said, okay, Lord, I'm doing everything I know what to do. Tell me what to do now. Well, I waited, waited, didn't hear a thing. Tempted to have a pity party because here I am, taking my wife, moved cross country, not knowing where I'm going because the Holy Ghost told me to go. And here he's not even giving me a place to meet. Then I had an idea and I thought, well, might as well start as close to the place we live as possible. So Castile Elementary School was the closest school that was uh, closest school to where we lived, the place that we found to live. So I called over there and asked to speak to the principal and the principal answered and uh, introduced myself and, and uh, told him what I was looking for. And he said, he got real quiet and he said, you're kidding. And I thought, oh, dear Lord. I said, no, sir. What do you mean? He said, I just got off the phone five minutes ago with the church that has used our school for the last three years. And they were telling me that this Sunday is their last Sunday. How did you know that it was available? Well, now I'm the, I'm the man of faith and power. <laughs> yeah, well, some of us just have inside information like that. <laughs> Bless our darling hearts. So I told him, I said, well, I think that's God. And he said, well, I don't know about that, but if you want the school, you can have it. <laughs> So we went into Castile Elementary School and stayed there for about three and a half years until we moved into the industrial building, moved into our own facility over at Watney. But folks, our church has been one one event, Holy Ghost-led event after another. One after another. Everything that we've ever done has been along those lines. When the time came for us to move out of the, the school, we searched and searched and searched. There was a, another church in the area that had started, big church, started with a bang. I, I, I get amused. I can't help it. I get amused at these churches that start big. Well, they did. Boy, they started big. He was one of the hosts on TBN, and, and that drew a lot of people in. He had all the city leaders and everybody else in the church, and we'd get on TBN and talk about all the people that were coming and stuff like that, and course you know what a blessing that is when you're struggling and you hear somebody else going great guns devil's always right there on your shoulder saying well if there wasn't something wrong with you you'd have that so i really didn't know i've always kind of stuck to my own business i don't try to get involved in city or community events i don't try to get involved in church politics i that that stuff just doesn't appeal to me in any way whatsoever. So I didn't know where they were. I didn't even know where they were meeting. I remember where they were advertising at one time, but then they got to their own facility, and I didn't know where that was. Well, it turned out it was just next door to where the building we found. And unbeknownst to me, as far as the details, I knew a little bit, but not the details. The reason their church had just blown up. There was some kind of scandal involved and the the city was left holding the bag because there were some city officials that had gone out on the limb uh, to to bend the rules or to overlook some of the rules of the conditional use permit and fire safety regulations and stuff like that because they were part of the church. Well, the church never did the right thing in making good on the code of... Oh, what am I trying to say? The adjustments, the the things that they had to do to bring the the building up to code. Well, as a result, there were some people that had lost their jobs in the city. And it just left a a terrible taste in in everybody's mouth and, and so forth. And then the next day, after their church blows up, the next day we show up and say, well, we're in the building next door and we'd like a conditional use permit to have church. So we had people telling us there was a, uh, and we'd signed the lease. I, did, I just, in foolishness, I didn't know how things worked. I didn't know you get this conditional use permit first, 
and then you signed the lease. We were on the hook for the, the rental of the building, whether we used it or not. And uh, so we go to the city. Now, a conditional use permit for an industrial building is supposed to be a three-month project. They say allow 90 days to make the adjustments and, you know, whatever code um, repairs or whatever you have to do for the assembly and so forth. It wound up taking us 13 months. And the first day I went in there to make application, the guy who signs the paper, I don't know if it's the city manager or city planner or whatever his title is, but the guy that signs the paper, he looked at me and laughed and he said, Pastor, you'll never use this building for church. Well, that was encouraging. But 13 months later, he's the guy that signs our paper. And he signed it with me saying, you remember 13 months ago? I waited till he signed it first. I said, I started to walk out and then I stopped and I said, you, you remember 13 months ago you told me we'd never use this building for church? He just turned around and walked away. <laughs> Once again, I'm the man of faith and power. I've had my moments, folks. I've really had my moments. It's always been after God came through, though. It had nothing to do with me. Well, we used that building, opened up, and God brought people in and blessed us. We had some tremendous meetings. That, that building was, there was something special about that building when we were there. The Spirit of God moved into that place. We used to have some awesome times of worshiping God in that place. Awesome times. I need to say thank you to each one of you for so many things, but specifically for caring about the word. Folks, I don't have any illusions about myself. I know that you're not here because of my personality. I've told this story over and over again, but it, I can't help but, but think of it every time I mention the word or say the word personality. I've got a good friend in Texas. He's got a church of about 5,000 people. He does a lot of church consulting and stuff like that. He's just a real outgoing, gregarious, you know, magnetic personality kind of guy. And he told me, he said, Mike, he said, your church would double overnight if you developed a personality. I have no no doubt that he's right, but <laughs> nevertheless. But I know why you're here. You're not here because of me. You're here because of your love for God and his word. When we started, we had nobody. Beth and I knew one family in this area, one couple. They had two kids, two small kids, and they were with us for our first service. But two weeks after we moved here, they moved to Texas. The devil said, that's a sign. <laughs> we had nobody. We didn't know anybody. I didn't ever want to be accused of taking somebody out of somebody's church in a wrong way. Now, now, don't get me wrong. If somebody's in a dead church and they want to, to, to experience the life of God and grow in the word, then they ought to leave that dead church. But I don't want to be responsible for, for them leaving. I don't want to be the one trying to talk them out of where they are and talking them into coming to my place. But I realize that you're here because of the word of God. We've always prayed. I, we, I, I, I can't speak for Beth's prayer life. But I've always prayed that God would bring us the right people. I don't care how big a church is. I don't care how big our church gets because size is not ever going to be the issue. What good would it do to have 2,000 people where 1,000 of them are fighting the other 1,000? 
Who cares about that? What good is going to be done there? I want people that are hungry for the things of God. I want people that care about the word. I want people that care about the truth. That's what I want. I don't care how many of them there are. That's not my business. Jesus said that he would build the church. I don't spend one minute thinking about how, how to make our church bigger. Now, some people will tell you, well, that's the reason why you are where you are. I wouldn't trade our church for the biggest church in the country. I don't know how in the world people would be willing to settle or be satisfied for just knowing they had a big crowd. What good is that? Now, the things that... uh, that the devil will try to beat you up with along the way. I wish, oh, by the way, one of the things on the video that you saw earlier today is incorrect. We regularly, when it comes to our TV program and our TV audience, we regularly fill up Angel Stadium. It seats 60, 55, 60,000 people. We regularly do that. On our biggest Sundays, we'd fill up the Rose Bowl. That's 100. Now, we don't do that often. But there are Sundays where God just draws people to us. So the impact of our church is a lot bigger. We've got a lot bigger footprint than just we show it on site. Thank God for that. Our church has avoided tragedy and scandal. Brother Hagin used to tell about how in 12 years of pastoring you never buried a church member. You know how few funerals we have? And most all of those are older folks that are ready to go. Folks, that counts for something. Counts for a lot if you want to stay alive. Some of the young ones that, uh, the young folks that uh, have not lived out their life. I, my greatest regret is that we didn't get to them sooner or they didn't find us sooner. Because if the word of God had been able to take root in their hearts, then maybe that their premature death could have been avoided. Folks, there's no question what we have is the truth. There's no question that the word of God is always the answer. So the real issue is just getting people to a place where they'll hear. Just getting people to to a place where they're here. If you want to pray for our church, pray that God will send us hungry people. Because that's the key. Jesus had the answer for anybody and everybody in there, no matter what their situation was. But not everybody would hear. Now, I wish we, well, I I should qualify that. Part of me wishes that we could be able to say, in 30 years, we've had X number of 1,000 people saved. And the devil, boy, I tell you what, that's one area the devil used to beat me up big time. And there was a time where I'd give an altar call every Sunday morning. And there'd hardly ever be a response. And as a result, I'd feel more, I'd feel worse after I gave the altar call than if I hadn't given one. And the devil would be right there. Saying, well, you're not doing your job. Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. He didn't tell him to be an evangelist. He told him to do the work of an evangelist. So I got to crying about it. Not literally crying, but complaining to the Lord. And, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm. I wish I was better at pastoring or better at whatever I needed to be and stuff like that. And I had the Lord speak to me one time just as, just so strong that it shook me. It seemed audible to me. I know it wasn't. But it seemed it was so strong that it seemed audible to me. And the Lord asked me a question. He said, who in that crowd today did you expect to get saved? I was stunned. Well, Lord, I don't know. And he asked me again, he said, who in that crowd isn't already saved? 
got to thinking about it. Well, I didn't see anybody I didn't know. Everybody I knew was saved. Wouldn't make much sense for them to come to the altar, would it? And then the Lord told me something. It stuck with me for years. He said this. He said some churches, he didn't, he didn't show favoritism one way or the other in what he said or the way he said it, but he said this. He said some churches are like delivery rooms where the whole purpose of the church is the event of the delivery of new births. And they celebrate it because that's their purpose. And then he said this. He said, and some churches are like families where there are spiritual fathers that raise up their children, teach them the word of God, and teach them to walk deal wisely in the affairs of life. And that was all he said. That's always been kind of hard for me to see myself as a spiritual father. But you parents, if you consider it, what's more important? The hospital's work in delivering your child? Or your work is raising them? Well, he needs both, doesn't he? Children need both. I want my children and my grandchildren to have expert deliverers. I want to have the best doctor so that their delivery is smooth and, and smooth sailing. But I'll take it from there. I think churches are that way too. So I realized and came to realize, didn't know it up front, but I came to realize that the unsaved are not the ones that are attracted by the kind of ministry that we have. The unsaved are more, more often attracted by those who have magnetic personalities, which for some reason God didn't give me. He must have had something in mind when he left that part out. But hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. And so I realize, I've come to realize... My ministry is not to get people saved. Now, it doesn't mean we won't. But God wants every church to get people saved. So how are people going to get saved? You're going to do that with your magnetic personality. (laughs) My job is to teach and train you so that you reach other people. It's not my job to reach the unsaved. Now, I do believe that we're coming to a place where things are going uh, going to operate a little bit differently. I believe the precious fruit of the earth, the harvest, is going to be brought in primarily, or at least in great part, by signs and wonders and miracles. Now, I think that's going to cross people's magnetic personality boundaries. And we're coming to a day for that. I have one last thing that, uh, that I want to share with you. Uh, this is uh, a unique Sunday service in the history of our church because it's the only day that I've ever come to church and I didn't have a message. I've been waxing nostalgic all week long. And you have no idea how unusual that is. But there's something about this time. There's something about this anniversary that's different. I've been thinking about where we've come from. And I've been spending all week long thinking about where we're headed. But I have something to thank you for. And I want to read to you from Galatians chapter 4. Paul said in verse 13, talking to the Galatian churches, the Galatian Christians, he said, You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh you despised not nor rejected but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Acts chapter 14 tells us the story of Paul's first visit to Galatia, the region of Galatia. He had some miracles there. There was a man, a crippled man at Lystra that was healed. But the cities of Antioch and Derbe, particularly Antioch, did not receive Paul's ministry. And as a result, the devil stirred up the Jews actually it tells a lot about the devout women in the Jewish community that stirred their husbands up to attack Paul. And they did. 
And they found Paul after he left their city. And they stoned him, left him for dead. And God raised him from the dead. That's what Paul's referring to when he writes back to the Galatians in chapter 4. And he said, you know how that the first time I was with you, at the first means the first time. The first time I was with you, I preached through the infirmity of the flesh. What is he saying? He's saying there was a physical condition the first time I was there that was not there at other times. Some people talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh and think that's his thorn in the flesh. Paul's thorn in the flesh was persecution. It was the source of all the trouble that came against him. He said so. Then in, in verse, the next verse, verse 14, whatever it is, he said, In my temptation which was in my flesh you didn't despise, nor did you reject me because of it, but received me in spite of it as if I was an angel or as if I was Jesus himself. The word temptation means experience or adversity. When God raised Paul from the dead, he still had the physical marks of that stoning. And what he's saying is, you didn't let my appearance keep you from believing what I said to be true. And I want to thank you folks. Because you know that for the last, well, I I came across some medical records just the other day that were forwarded to me. And uh, I thought it had been longer. It feels like it's been longer. But in the middle of of 2012, I developed this, uh, uh, I I was attacked with this tremor, this shaking. The doctors have diagnosed it with Parkinson's. I don't care what they call it. Jesus paid the price for it. So for the last three, uh, what would that be, three and a half years? Like I said, I thought it was longer. It feels longer. For the last three and a half years, I have not had one time ministering before you that I have not been conscious of the appearance of this thing. Now, I've had a lot of people try to give me medical advice, and, then, and I understand you're looking out for me and trying to help me, and I appreciate that. That's fine. But if you had not been schooled in the Word, committed to the Word, you could have let something like that shake you. And that's what Paul is saying to the Galatians. He's saying, you didn't let the circumstances surrounding the opposition to me and the the effect that it had on my appearance shake you from hearing and receiving the truth. And I want to thank you for doing the same. I want to thank you for not being shaken by my shaking. Where do we go from here? You know, I um, I had the Lord say something to me this morning when I was getting ready for the service. He said these words, course corrections. Course corrections. I didn't say a change of course. See, a lot of times people make mistakes because they try to change their course when what they need to do is make a small adjustment, a small correction. You know as well as I do that when we were kids, we'd get in our our parents' cars and we'd sit behind the wheel and we'd turn as far as we could one way and turn as far as we could the other way. Now with the steering wheels at lock, you can't do that. But we'd pretend like we were driving and we'd turn as far one way as we could the other. Well, you try to drive like that and you're going to have trouble. Driving is not, successful driving is not how far you can turn it one way and how far you can turn it the other way. It's small adjustments. Small adjustments. Course corrections. We've laid a foundation of the word. You've laid a foundation of the word in your heart. But this year is going to be a different year. There are going to be some adjustments, corrections that will be made. Not all of them will be pleasant, but all of them will be necessary. There'll be some that go home. We'll lose some friends this year. But don't let that bother you. Don't let that shake you. Don't let that turn you away from the truth of the word. 
Because God's getting things in line. He's getting things in order in just the way that he needs them. Because Jesus is coming soon. And the church that he's coming for is a glorious church. That means people with a sure foundation of the word of God under their feet. And that are filled with the glory of God. That's the church Jesus is coming back for. And that's what the word of God and the leading of the Holy Ghost will produce in you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. You've proven yourself faithful to us, Father, for 30 years in this church. You've enabled us to live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. You've come through in miraculous ways. Each and every one of us have an individual story of your goodness and your faithfulness toward us. Now, Father, we're in a place where we're more ready and better equipped to be used than ever before. Use us, Lord. Bring people to us. Bring people to our services. Bring people to our website. Bring people to our TV program, Lord. That they may hear and receive the truth of your word and build a foundation of truth in their own lives. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of truth, the spirit of reality. You guide us into the truth of God's word. You guide us into the reality of who we are in him. And you show us things to come. Lead us and guide us into victory. Order our steps. Direct us, even as you have in the past. But even more so, even in a greater way than ever before. Lord, we certainly haven't arrived, but we have grown. Use us, Lord. Use us to heal the sick. Use us to do the works of Jesus. Use us, Lord, to reach the lost. To bring people into the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The fullness of your blessings. The fullness of your promise. Use us, Lord. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. I love each and every one of you. I thank you for being part of our family. I thank you for loving the things of God. John said this in writing at the end of his life. He said, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. That's what sets me on fire. To see the word of God working for you. Thank you. God bless you.